Welcome to McKnight's Home Care Newsmakers podcast, where we share the latest information and views from industry leaders. This is Diane Esterbrook, staff writer for McKnight's Home Care Daily. As more healthcare moves into the home, providers are looking to partner with home health agencies who can close the loop on the continuum of care. One of those firms is Harmony Cares, which provides comprehensive home-based medical care to older adults and the chronically ill. For three decades, the company provided only home-based primary care services until a recent rebranding and a pivot. I met up with Harmony Care's Chief Strategy Officer, James Lydiard, at the Home Care 100 conference in Orlando earlier this week. I started our conversation by asking him what the company's new direction means for home health care. Yeah, um, on the rebranding, I, I think it's quite simple. As I've explained at this conference, when an organization is 30 years old and over those 30 years has launched new divisions, new departments, new regions, um, we do so in different ways. And, you know, frankly speaking, we had five different names before the rebranding. So I think it, it made it really complicated to our patients and confusing, even if one of those patients would follow our continuum from primary care to home health to hospice and may even receive services from our mobile lab and radiology service. So I think first and foremost, it was about making our story clearer to the patient, to the consumer. Um, It was also, frankly, a very nice unifying event for our teams, believe it or not. So our teams that previously would wear different logos and have different scrubs or attire. Um, now we're all under one umbrella. We felt like more of a team. One of the things that you said in the session this morning that really struck me was that you are a big fan of home health. What does home health bring to the table? Um, well, I think that what I love about home health is a few things. One, it's care in the home. Um, I'm a big proponent of that, clearly. Um, The other thing I think that home health does is it provides a really nice glide path for patients immediately following a pretty chaotic event, typically. Um, You know, to my knowledge, most home health typically starts um, after an acute event or even a planned event, so to speak, but an event nonetheless. I'd love to see that change. I'd love to see more home health happen prospectively and proactively as long as the patient qualified. But uh, first and foremost, I love that it's in the home and I love that I think it's, it's the nice connective tissue, I hope, if done right, to take a patient that's just experienced this chaotic episode and allow them to try to rehabilitate or get back to a new normal um, in the safety of their own home with their family around them and pets around them and, and what have you. You own, in your markets that you're in, you said about half of the home health that you have is your own in-house home health service. When you put that together, when you put it together, what does it look like? You're the one that you own. I'll actually answer the question both when we do and we don't, um, because it looks very similar. Again, we're, we're an organization that believes enough in home health to, in fact, employ it in 14 of our 36 markets. And in fact, we employ hospice in 19 of our 36 markets. So delivering that spectrum of care and those end-to-end solutions for patients is is a value to us because not only do we see in the data that that breeds better outcomes, but I think uh, speaking from the lens of our patients and our staff, it allows for really an abbreviated handoff. A lot of times in healthcare, there's so many hands in the pot. And even when providers and teams and health systems think that you go from this care provider to that care provider to this care provider, even when we think we're doing a nice handoff, it might not seem that way to the patient. So for us, like our home health care agencies, whether again, employed or or partnered and external to us, we'll invite them to our right care meetings. 
Um, you know, we'll discuss patients together proactively before the referral, obviously not mentioning their names for HIPAA compliance and whatnot, but we'll really bring them in and integrate them almost in the referral side of it so that they know the type of patient they're getting. They know the type of care we're expecting them to provide. They know the type of communication we expect on the back end. They know the goals of care. Um, and so I, I would say in, in one way, it's a less clunky handoff experienced within the Harmony Cares umbrella uh, because of how we believe so much in home health. But when you go out and contract it in the markets where you don't have home health, what are you looking for in those providers that you do contract with? I think what I look for is, um, and I think I, I talk about it a little bit in, in sort of a, a four A's. So what I, I look for is access, availability, actionable, and actuarially driven. So what I mean by that is our patients and providers, uh, first and foremost, our home health agencies we partner with need to answer their calls. Uh, they need to maintain a tri-directional communication. So that's communication with the PCP, us, the patient or POA, and the agency themselves. They need to be proactive in deploying care. So if a patient calls in, there's an emergency, you know, it's before their next visit, we need you to get out there. And I need you to come with data. So we need to be speaking the same language. We need to set up, you know, sort of key performing indicators that we're aligned on and these sorts of things. And it doesn't even have to be contractual. It could just be, hey, here's what I care about. Let's make sure that we hone in on these things. You mentioned a key point, which is data, and we hear a lot about that. So what kind of data are you looking for and how should they be going about gathering that data? So probably data on the front end. So timeliness in terms of how long did you take to render an answer of, yes, I can take the case, no, I can't take the case? If you said yes, how long did it take you to actually schedule your first visit and get out there? You know, a lot of our patients, when we need to call upon a home health agency for services, these patients need something yesterday. So they often can't wait the week or two weeks. And in this crazy staffing world that we're all living in, it's tough for all agencies to be ready to take on new cases at the drop of a hat. But that's the first data point, is that turnaround time. I'd say the second data point is how many visits per service period do you need? Um, you know, I, I can quickly understand certain, you know, our, our, I shouldn't say I, our organization and in particular our clinician, our, our physician leaders can quickly understand how much services should we be delivering to a patient based on what we're referring. Um, and then there's some of those things that are, are very commonplace, like, you know, during your certification period for this home health agency, did the patient have to go to the ER? Did the patient have to go to the hospital? If we were starting the patient on a home health service after a hospitalization, let's hopefully you know, confirm that they didn't have a re-hospitalization. So certain commonplace things like that, too. Are you looking for other ancillary services that they may be connected to? And we're hearing a lot these days about things like, well, home care, for example, personal care, or um, pest services or meal programs and that kind of thing. Well, listen, there's these buzzwords in healthcare right now, right? Um, so health equity, social determinants of health. We very much believe in that and we've seen that. So even before it was a buzzword, right? These were the things that often kept our patients happy, healthy, well, and out of high cost settings. So it's also why we have invested as an organization in social services team members, community health work team members. I, I've mentioned it today, but sometimes even the best of clinicians and the best of care plans will fall short because we haven't adjusted to the environmental issues these patients are facing. A couple examples of what we've done about that. So I mentioned some team members. Yes, we can go out there and be strong advocates for these patients. Our community health workers can connect them with things like 
pest services or transportation services or food pantries or what have you. Um, we also have done some uh, things in our reach ACO where in the benefit enhancements, we've applied for the in-kind benefit as an example. So there may come a day and reach just launched, so yet to be seen, but there may come a day where you know, all, all our patient really needs to keep them out of the hospital is a refrigerator for their insulin. These sorts of things are going to be very much capable for us to do in the future. So again, it's not necessarily the best healthcare we're delivering that's generating that outcome. It's the simple common sense stuff that we're able to do to drive that outcome. How much, when you, when you bring in an outside home health agency, how much risk are you asking them to take on or, or, or no risk at all? Yeah, in, in what few, to be transparent, contracts that we've looked to do and have done, Really, it starts with little to no risk. Um, and in fact, I think the glide path to it being more risk is whatever fees we're going to pay you, you know, if it's our reach ACO, for example, are you willing to put some of those fees at risk? So it wouldn't be any downside. You would just you know, have the risk of losing out on some of the payment that you would have generated through our services type thing. Um, I think that's probably a nice stepping stone for a lot of companies that are sitting out there thinking, I hear a lot about this, but how do I do it? You know, to me, I'm big on let's do a first step together. Let's have it be little risk, um, but potentially less reward then. And after we live and learn together and you know, our data teams can sort of say, hey, we're on to something, then maybe you take on more risk. And, and maybe, in fact, that leads to different bonus programs and things of that sort. You've alluded a couple of times to the REACH ACO program that just recently launched, and it was a little bit controversial when it was first announced. How is that going for you, and what do you think the future is for the REACH ACO? Um, so I, I lived through it at a, at a different organization, <laughs> the direct contracting entity launch as well, um, and I, I am a, a big proponent of where this is headed because I think it's Medicare's and CMMI's best stab yet at a value-based Medicare program. Um, you know, and I, I think Medicare and, and CMMI have done a good job of learning from the wins, but also the misses on things like NextGen and Pioneer ACOs and having the hospital as the nucleus, if you will. So these primary care uh, value-based Medicare programs, I think, are, are extremely the right direction. I'd also say that what, what we liked about REACH and why we've invested in it as an organization is, first and foremost, it allows the best version of us to come out. So if we've done well in MSSP tracks, you know, even with upside and downside, this allows for even better performance, both on the revenue side as well as on the cost containment side by you know, convening a network. Um, so it's not that the patient has fewer network options. It's just that within our ACO, they're going to have more immediate options within that Medicare network to go to that are preferred or participant partners with us. So really, it's a bet on ourselves. And we hope that things like the benefit enhancements that I've mentioned, the concurrent coding, which I've mentioned, uh, allows our REACH ACO to be very successful. And, and again, we're doing the high needs track, just given the nature of our patients. We've sort of in the past lived in sort of a siloed world where, you know, there was primary care, there was, you know, hospice, everything was sort of siloed. But it seems like now there's so many partnerships that these, all of these elements are sort of coming together along the lines of what you're doing. I guess my question is, can you now just be a home health provider or just be a primary care provider? Yeah, so I, things are coming together. Uh, I think, you know, things like the Affordable Care Act and, and other policy-related things helped nudge this along. But I also think that, you know, that it's less about the, the term ACO or the term Medicare Advantage. Like, what, what I think the, all organizations have understood now is there just needs to be aligned incentives. 
And in true fee-for-service type reimbursement models, there aren't. There are perverse incentives. Um, People get paid more for doing more, which isn't always what the patient wants nor needs. Um, And so when you move towards any type of payment arrangement that is aligned um, and it it reimburses based on the outcome and the patient experience as opposed to more services, more payment, um, you tend to see a lot of companies thinking, okay, here's what I do really good. How can you help me do even better? And so it it is. I think it it breeds a team-based approach to care. Um, Because I think that there are those aligned incentives, I don't think that all home health agencies should over-diversify. I think you know, what I've found and and makes me excited is when I work with a home health agency that really understands their identity, they understand where they succeed. Um, They understand also what they don't do well. And I appreciate transparency. I appreciate candid answers. I don't want somebody to come in and oversell me and then me to generate, you know, 30 or 40 referrals that fall flat. Um, I'd venture even to say that if our company that was started 30 years ago was starting today, I don't know that we would have done home health in all these markets, especially if we had the right partnerships. Um, you know, it's it certainly, it's helped us in many ways, but also, you know, it, it's extremely, you know, it, it limits you in the way of the, your own finances because you're bringing up all these organizations at the same time of trying to succeed and just generate an outcome. And that's hard to do. It's tough stuff. What kind of patient satisfaction are you, are you getting right now? You know, we as an organization haven't done as great of a job as we want. We have things like net promoter scores and things of that sort, but we need to do better is the answer. Um, And I also don't even think that net promoter scores are that great of an indicator on patient satisfaction. I I, I think actually, um, you know, things like disenrollment rates might even be a better one, you know, simply put, because a lot of the patients that will um, score you or will give you a survey will you know, be those outspoken patients. It's, it's almost like you, you hear about the, the silent resignation right now with staff. I think it's like the silent disenrollment as well with patients. Some of our patients that may leave are just so dissatisfied, they don't even want to do the survey. So we're really not picking up on that. Um, and that just goes as the industry in whole, not necessarily Harmony Cares. But um, I think we need to do a better job of monitoring the whole patient experience. And good key indicators for that are uh, what patients are electing to leave our services, not because they moved, but because they found a better option. That's a, that's a dissatisfying indicator for us. Um, you know, one of the other anecdotal pieces of feedback that I think we need to get better than anecdotal on is one of the biggest complaints we hear from patients, especially early on, is I wish I would have known about you sooner. So, you know, these are things where it's almost a failure in that we haven't uh, put ourselves out there right. Um, and it's if we would have been able to you know, service these patients months, years before, how well could we have slowed the slope of disease progression they have and given them a much more enjoyable life? So I think it's, um, you know, we need to do better on patient experience once they're within our care, but we also need to do better on awareness before they get to our care so they know how to reach us, how to get our services started, and probably have a much more enjoyable service delivery you know, tenure throughout our, our Harmony Cares window. One final question. When you go into a market and you're looking to contract with a home health provider, um, how do you get the message out? Do you go to them? Do you seek them out or do they seek you out? How does that work? Um, So, again, the answer is both. And and again, as I mentioned earlier, we're just getting into this we contract with home health agencies because in the past, you know, what we've been able to really only do is tell our home health or excuse me, tell our Medicare Advantage partners, hey, if you're not working with this group, you should. Um, now we have the data, and in our risk deals, we're able to take that data and our opinion to the health plans and say, here's why to contract with them. 
in our ACO world, now we have that power. We have the ability to do these contracts. The, the answer to your question, though, is it's both directions. And I'd actually say that because we're in so many markets, we've tended to find the best partnerships with groups that have worked well with us previously and in other markets. So a good example of that right now is that we're expanding in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, we just launched there. We've got our ribbon cutting and our grand opening on the 31st of this month. And what we're looking to do there and part of the way that we expect to grow there is we're going to those same home health agencies that partner with us in other regions that have seen how well that symbiotic sort of altruistic partnership can work between our two organizations. And we're saying, hey, we're opening in Atlanta. And, you know, albeit their regional teams are like, hey, we work really well together in Florida. We work really well together in Philly. You know, they're a great company to work with. Our Atlanta teams can't wait to partner. And and why I think that that's critical is that, number one, we're not going to launch home health agencies of our own in all of these new markets. It's just it's not feasible. Um, and if we can find good partnerships, we may not need to invest in our own. Um, also, remember part of my chat today, of the 300 or so new members that we welcome every week into the Harmony Cares medical group side of our organization, about 25% of those come from home health agencies. So we view home health agencies as, as a way to also grow in addition to provide great outcomes and great patient care because every one of our patients will likely need that type of service. Great. Jim Lydiard, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to McKnight's Home Care Newsmakers podcast. For the latest in home care news, visit McKnight'sHomeCare.com. 